You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 7. How to Write a Book. Hello, and welcome to episode 107 of You Don't Know Flack. Um, you may have noticed that there was a significant break between episodes 106 and 107, and uh, the reason for that break is I've been busy putting the finishing touches on my second book, which is entitled Invading Spaces, A Beginner's Guide to Collecting Arcade Games. Uh, those of you that have listened to some of my previous podcasts or checked out my website or know me uh, online know that I am a big fan of arcade cabinets, arcade machines. Uh, the big stand-up ones, and I have, um, I currently own approximately 25. I, I always have to say approximately or about whenever I give a number because I'm always buying and selling machines. So uh, right now it's right around 25. I just uh, actually sold a couple of machines a week or so ago. But um, but anyway, so um, I've finished the book, and uh, the book is going to debut on August 9th at the Oklahoma Video Game Expo in Tulsa, Oklahoma, OVGE. This is the um, fifth, I don't, do you say annual if you skipped a year? I think it's the fifth annual OVGE. Uh, They didn't have one last year, Uh, but OVGE is back. And uh, I think um, OVGE is actually going to be huge this year uh, since there is no Classic Gaming Gaming Expo, CGE, uh, which is another one of the big shows. And I think a lot of people... I don't know that a lot of people are going to cancel their Vegas vacation plans to uh, go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, but uh, I know a lot of the people uh, here in the Midwest are, are going to attend the show that, you know, people that may have had to uh, decide in the past of going to one or the other, this makes it a little bit easier. But anyway, um, uh, so I'm going to be at the show on August 9th, and I'm going to be selling uh, uh, both of my books, Commodore. Uh, Sorted Tales from a BBS Junkie, my first book, and uh, I'll also be selling the new book, Invading Spaces, and I'll be signing those, and um, I'm going to be demonstrating some stuff. I haven't really decided uh, what I'm going to have at the tables yet, but uh, I'm sure there will be something Commodore-related next to the Commodore books, and something arcade-related next to uh, the arcade books, so I'm going to have to... uh, you know what I would really like to do? <laughs> I love when I get it off track um, in the first five minutes of the podcast. But um, I saw there was a, a video game museum somewhere in St. Louis, and it, it, it's closed several years ago. But they ha- I've seen pictures of this, a um, Miss Pac-Man arcade machine that was completely built out of plexiglass. And I thought that was so cool. I, I didn't see it in person, but I've seen pictures of it on the web. And uh, I thought, well, you know, what a neat thing, because people can see all the insides of an arcade game, you know. So, well, actually, um, one thing I've been thinking about doing, originally what I wanted to do is um, disassemble an arcade machine and have it working, but on the table. Like, have all the parts, you know, laying out on the table. But the uh, the problem with that is the uh, twenty to 30,000 volts that go to a monitor and having that exposed. And so, um, uh, you know, since there'd be such a... 
you know, a risk of uh, shocking children to death or whatever. I thought that might not be a good idea. So uh, right now I'm considering actually just having a disassembled machine, but not uh, having it turned on. But anyway, um, this is uh, the last podcast before uh, OVGE. And so, and it's the last podcast before the book goes on sale. So I really wanted to uh, have a topic this time that had to do something uh, with the book, you know. Um, uh, But, you know, I just did a podcast about... Uh, my old arcade stories, so I didn't want to do that. And I really didn't want to just you know read uh, stories from the book or talk about you know the book or whatever. So I was uh, having dinner with a friend of mine the other day, and uh, he suggested that I talk about actually writing the book and writing both of my books and uh, how that came about and stuff. And I you know I've had um uh, several friends of mine online uh, who've asked me you know. Well, how did you? How did your books come about? How did you write it? And you know, ask me different different types of questions, uh, technical questions, and and um, general questions. You know, and so I thought, you know, that's a good idea. So um, the topic of this week's podcast is uh, how to write a book, and so I'm just going to be talking about basically how the two books came together. Um, now, the next podcast on which uh, I'm going to try and, and stick a little bit stricter to my uh, release schedule. But the next one will be, uh, I'm still doing them every two weeks uh, in theory. Uh, so on August 15th, I'm probably going to do a show about um, gaming conventions. You know, that will be right after the OVGE. And I've gone to OVGE and CGE and several uh, different shows around. So I'll probably be talking about that. I've actually considered doing part of the podcast or something uh, from the show, but I haven't really figured out the logistics of that. And I think it, I think it, it would probably be the logistics of getting, you know, decent sound quality or whatever. I'm not sure how that would work out. So, um, uh, but probably after that, I'll be talking about that. And I've got two or three other, uh, shows already scripted out. One, uh, talking about, um, some of the new things that have come out for Commodore computers. And I have one about, um, computer copy fest. And it's funny because, um, I actually originally advertised the podcast as being about retro gaming, and I haven't done a single episode about uh, old video game consoles, so I need to fit one of those in somewhere. So anyway, I've got a lot of material saved up, uh, a lot of stuff to keep the shows going, so that's good. Uh, There's no uh, shortage of material right now. So anyway, we're going to go ahead and, and get started with episode 107, which is titled How to Write a Book. When you publish a book, and whether that's through um, you know self-publishing like what I did or a real publisher or whatever, there's something magic that happens that people consider you to be an author. Uh, and that's kind of a weird position for me to be in because um, you know I didn't really think of myself as uh, an author for a while. I just thought of myself as a a guy that put a book out, you know. And and it turns out there are a lot of people out there. Whenever you do something like write a book or uh, record music or, you know, anything that, uh, other people, uh, I guess I, what's a good way to say it would be like that other people have that same goal. Like there are a lot of people out there who would like to do music or a lot of people out there who, uh, would like to write a book. And so those people come to you and they have questions, you know? And, uh, so it it was kind of weird for me in the beginning to field these questions as an author, you know? And, uh, in fact, when Commodore came out, you know, I had several people say, you know, as an author, what do you think about, and, you know, as they're saying their question, I'm just thinking, wow, am I an author? 
Like, how did that happen, you know? And so uh, I thought I'd go back and talk a little bit about my first book. My first book, um, as I already mentioned, was called Commodork, Sorted Tales from a BBS Junkie, or just um, Commodork. And Commodork was, for those of you that haven't read it, is a collection of all my old uh, BBS stories. Now, I was born in 1973. We got our first computer, uh, TRS-80, in 1980, uh, TRS-80 Model 3 in 1980. And so pretty early on, we we actually had a modem for our TRS-80 Model 3, but I didn't really get into modem uh, shortly after the TRS-80, uh, and I've, I've already uh, told this history previously, but... Uh, we got an Apple II, and then from the Apple II, my dad moved to the IBM, uh, and I moved to the Commodore 64, and we both had modems. So that's, you know, uh, I mean, I grew up basically calling BBSs. So, um, you know, when so it, a lot of my stories, well, a lot of the stories do have to do about computer-type things or whatever, but a lot of the stories are just normal, like, coming-of-age type stories that just happen to involve a modem or involve computers because that's where I grew up. I grew up doing that. You know, I mean, if you grew up maybe playing sports or something, I'm sure you have a lot of funny stories or interesting stories uh, that involve sports just because that's where you spent your time, you know. So um, when people talk about their childhood or when I talk about growing up, a lot of those stories involve computers, you know, and people that I met through the computer or, you know, things like that. So now, in the introduction of Commodore, one of the things I explain um, is I make this analogy between old disks losing data and my brain losing data, and both of those are very real events. Um, and, you know, I still play with a real Commodore 64 all the time, but, um, you know, not every day. Like, uh, sometimes it'll go into storage, and then I'll pull everything out, and then you know I'll play with it for a while, and then it goes back into storage, and I'll lose interest for a while, and then I pull everything back out. And one of the things I noticed is that every time I did this, I started finding more and more of my old floppy disks were developing disk errors. And um, so, a lot of times when I when I write, uh, and I do this, I mean, on my blog entries or when I'm just writing, I, I tend to make a lot of analogies. Um, you know, I'll just notice that two things, you know, have something in common. It maybe not, uh, on the surface, but in my mind, there's, there's these, uh, parallels. And so at around the same time, one of the things, uh, that I noticed that was just kind of funny was I was, uh, telling a story to my wife, uh, about, you know, an old Commodore story. And I had mentioned, uh, these two friends were both in the story. The way I told the story is like person A and person B and myself had all gone somewhere. Um, and then when I started thinking about it, I realized that person A has never met person B. Like, I, you know, person A moved before I ever met person B. So there's no way that these two people could possibly have been at the same place in the same time. Um, but over the years, maybe there were two different um, stories that were similar or somehow, but somehow my brain has merged these two different stories and these two people into being at the same place at the same time, which if I go back and look, you know, like I said, looking at the facts, I know that that's not a possibility. Uh, and so it was kind of around the same time that I noticed that and that I noticed uh, my discs failing. And so I that kind of became uh, the reason for writing the book. And, and so I made this little parallel and I said, you know, as I've noticed that the discs 
are getting older and failing and losing their data, so am I. I am also getting older and losing data. Uh, and so uh, Commodore didn't start out actually to be a book at all. It just started out to be a collection of all my old stories because, um, uh, like I said, you know, I, I realized this, that I was starting to get things wrong and get things mixed up. So I really wanted to document all these things. And uh, it's an interesting thing to think about, like, uh, you know, the Declaration of Independence. That was a big deal. Uh, and there are people who documented what happened that day. Or, you know, if you think about this, uh, you know, the Space Shuttle Challenger or, um, you know, different just historical events get documented because people say, oh, this is important. And they, you know, there are enough people around and people write down and you have all these different views. But if in your own history, there's no one really doing that. Uh, and so if anybody's going to capture your own history, it has to be you. And so I realized that, that this history, um, was, was kind of getting left behind, you know? So, so I started documenting all these old stories and a lot of them were, I, there was like a different types of stories. Like some of them would be like, you know, personal anecdotes, like, you know, this happened to me one time and it was funny. And so I would write that down, but other ones, uh, were more, uh, historical, like, you know, everybody started, uh, everybody was moving towards 2400 baud or everybody started getting hard drives, you know? And so, uh, it, it was easy to, um, mix these two types of stories together. I, I decided very early on that I was going to write Commodore, uh, chronologically. And so everything that happened in the book would happen, you know, in order of real life. And that actually became very difficult. Uh, and there are times uh, certain points in Commodore where uh, I I broke my own rule a few times. Like there would be, I know that there's uh there's one part that I really had a hard time with where I had um, introduced a friend of mine in a story. And then in reality, I hadn't actually met him until later in the book, you know, and I think, actually, I think that may still be in there. It's kind of a, uh, a chronological error that, that, you know, you're talking about somebody before I've actually met him. But, um, but anyway, so when I started putting all this together, um, I didn't know what I was going to do with all these stories. I mean, I, I had this need to write them down and to document and capture these stories, but I didn't think anybody would be interested in my story. That was a, that's a big problem. Uh, if you're going to write a book, you have to come up with an angle that people that don't know you uh, will, will, inter will be interested in. Um, Two people, when I first started writing Commodore, I thought, you know, this is a a personal story of funny anecdotes. I, I mean, I write uh, I, funny stories, I write funny anecdotes, and I have a good way of, of putting things together. But the two people uh, that I've, you know, read about or, or listened to or seen are Bill Cosby and Will Rogers. And these are both people that are known for their funny story uh, telling abilities. And so when I was writing my book, I kind of kept those people in mind. But the um, the problem I was having is people go to see Bill Cosby, or you know, would in back in the day would buy a Bill Cosby record because they heard his last record and he was funny. So they, you know, so he's a famous type person. The same thing with Will Rogers when he would write a new book or have a list of uh, a new book full of stories. People know who Will Rogers is, and so they know that it's going to be, uh, you know, he's already an established person. So the hurdle I had to overcome was 
no one knew uh, or still knows who Rob O'Hara is. So, you know, I'm coming up with this list, but who wants to read about the life and times of Rob O'Hara? And, you know, the answer is really nobody. I mean, that's not something I could market, you know. And so uh, as that's kind of why the book became, I mean, obviously Commodore is my story and, and that's what it was advertised at. And in fact, um, the only, I, I have received very few uh, people, emails from people who, that didn't like the book, but the people who didn't like it um, or were disappointed in it were mostly people who didn't, who bought it and didn't, you know, uh, do their homework or read, read about, you know, my advertisement of what it was. And it was a story of, of my, uh, my experiences growing up, uh, with a Commodore computer and, uh, you know, and, and my experiences through, uh, or with BBSs or whatever, uh, like one, one email I got from somebody, actually there's the, one of the reviews on Amazon, uh, is really bad. And it says, um, uh, you know, he, it's all this is, is this kid's stories about being on a BBS. And I'm like, exactly. That's exactly what the book is. That's what I, I advertise it as being. It's not a, um, a complete, uh, uh, you know, history of the Commodore computer. If you want that pick up, uh, on the edge, which is a great book, you know, but that, but that's not my story. And that's what I was trying to capture. But anyway, um, I knew that people wouldn't buy the story of Rob O'Hara. So that's why, uh, I started putting in, you know, this whole timeline of modeming. And then I hung my story on that timeline, you know, uh, and so I'm, I'm writing all these stories, but I didn't, you know, and I'm piecing it together chronologically and, and um, I'll get into the, the technical, uh, aspect of how I did that in just a minute. But, um, the turning point for me was Jason Scott's BBS documentary. And, uh, if you have any interest at all in computers or BBSs or, you know, tech technological documentaries, anything like that, you should really pick up. Jason Scott's uh, BBS documentary. I think it's $40 uh, and it's, oh gosh, what is it? I mean, it's like six hours worth of documentaries. It's all, you know, I think it might even be longer than that. It's really fascinating. And, and um, uh, so I was probably two thirds of the way through with Commodore and I wasn't really working on it that much uh, at that time, you know, because I, I didn't really see a purpose for it. I, I mean, I wanted to do it, but I didn't think it would sell. And then I found Jason's BBS documentary, and I was like, holy crap, there are people that are interested in, you know, BBS stuff still. And so that kind of gave me the push. And I, you know, I had done all this work on Commodore before I ever saw his uh, BBS documentary, and, and I was really afraid that people would think that I had taken my book and just kind of jumped on his bandwagon or whatever. But uh, so I got his, his ordered his DVDs. And when I watched the BBS documentary, what was fascinating about it was that, uh, we had taken almost completely opposite approaches on talking about BBSs because, uh, if you, if you've seen the DVD, he's interviewed like over 200 people and he gets 200 people's stories about BBSs and he pieces them all together. And through these 200 interviews, he weaves like one basic history of BBSs, you know? So he talks to, um, if you think about the way I described it is like, um, uh, an inverted pyramid, like at the top, it's really wide. Like he has these 200 interviews and it funnels down to a point 
of you know one story, which is uh, the the history of BBSs. And my book is completely opposite. It's upside down. It's at the top of the pyramid. You know, it's just the one point. It's me, and it's my story. And then that spreads out to the bottom of the pyramid, and it's very wide. And that's you know the story of the BBS. But it's it's from one person's point of view. So, uh, you know his his documentary when he talks about um, oh gosh, like um, you know the hacking scene or something, and he interviews you know. 50 different hackers and they all tell little bits of how, you know, what they did and how it related to BBSs. where in my book, it's just like my little experience, like, well, here I am and this is what I saw and this is what people were doing, you know? So, um, and one of the things I, I have absolutely loved about Commodore is how many people have emailed me and said, I read your book and it's like you were telling my story. And I thought that was so cool because um, not that I thought that anything I did was unique. I mean, obviously a lot of the stories in there only happened to me, you know, um, I mean the people and the specifics and stuff, but, uh, but here I am, you know, in the middle of, uh, suburban Oklahoma and, you know, I get emails from people in other countries, I, and, you know, Canada and, uh, Mexico and, uh, you know, all these different countries, a lot in Germany, and they're like, you know what, It's we were doing the exact same thing at the exact same time, you know, it's like, you know, actually I've had people say, you know, it's amazing that we didn't run into each other, and of course that was one of the funny things about BBSs is, you know, they were so localized that um, obviously there were all these little different pockets that were all kind of evolving at the same time, but nobody was talking to each other. Um, so anyway, um, so to backtrack a little bit, uh, whenever I saw Jason's DVD, uh, for the BBS documentary, I was like, you know what, there's an interest for this. And I, and so that was kind of like when the picture came together for me, like, well, that's my approach is that I'm kind of telling the story of, I mean, BBSs from start to finish, uh, from my own eyes, you know, from one person's point of view. And so that was kind of, uh, how I molded the book together. And so it became a story that was, I mean, a book with a point that was more than just Rob O'Hara's stories. It was, you know, one guy's view of BBSs. And so, um, in fact, one thing that was hard for me was once I had decided on that, that gives me a beginning and an ending. I mean, that sets the beginning of the book has to be when I first get a computer uh, and a modem, which is, I mean, really where the story begins. So that wasn't the problem. But the problem became uh, is I had a lot of, stories that continued on past the end of BBSs. And so when you have set up your book to be, you know, your story of, of calling BBSs, then, uh, that's where you have to end the book. <laughs> and so, um, so I had stories that, um, you know, like, uh, one of the people I mentioned in the book, Arcane, um, his name is Justin. He's a good friend of mine. He's still a good friend of mine. Um, and I met Justin through BBSs and we had a lot of good times through BBSs. And then, you know, ultimately, um, we quit doing BBSs and then we started doing things together on the internet. And so it was the same person and I still had really funny and good stories about that person, but you know, it didn't really fit what I had set up the book to be. So, you know, maybe that leaves, uh, room for, uh, Commodore part two, electric boogaloo. That'd be <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the title for uh, book number two. Uh, so anyway, 
One of the technical questions I get from a lot of people is, is how did you write your book? You know, I mean like the technical part, uh, because writing a book seems like such a, I mean, Commodore is 180 something pages, you know, and people are like, like, um, you know, how do you sit down and do that? And, and, um, I'll tell you exactly how I did it was I used three by five note cards, like actual physical cards, which goes against everything that I stand for. I'm such a digital type person. I don't like post-it notes. I run, um, actually run free note on my computer, which is a freeware post-it note thing. So I have virtual post-it notes on my monitor. I, I, uh, you know, when I have to take a note, I type it into my phone. I don't, you know, I'm very electronic. I'm anti-paper. So, um, you know, to tell people that I use three by five cards is kind of embarrassing, especially when you're writing a book about computers. But, um, uh, but that's what I did. I, I started writing down all my little stories like, um, you know, blah, 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 uh, copy fest. And I would, you know, write down, not the whole story, but I would write down enough on this index card, uh, you know, to remind me what the story was. And I sat down one day and I sat down with, uh, you know, I came up with every story idea and all these different, uh, you know, every part of the book basically. And I wrote them all down and I put them out on my kitchen table. And then I had this huge, you know, stack of uh, three by five index cards. And then I kind of started moving them around and uh, grouping them into like subjects, you know, and well, Along those same lines, I also arranged them chronologically. So this happened, then this happened, you know. And so I I move all these index cards around, and then um, and then you started seeing, you know, like okay, well these stories all involved Justin, or these stories all involved, you know, copy fests. And so um, it was pretty easy, uh, for me anyway. Uh, the physical uh, action of moving these cards around and grouping stuff. Um, I, and you know what? I didn't, I didn't actually do that with, um, invading spaces, the second book, but you know, the first project being, um, uh, you know, I, it was just uh, an easy way to help me organize stuff and move stuff around. So that's actually what I did. And then once I got those, you know, basic concepts of like, okay, chapter three is going to be about this chapter five is going to be this. And it's going to have these 10 stories. Then I took all those things and I did write them, uh, in notepad. And then, uh, you know, as I needed to to add or remove, uh, you know, stories or rearrange things or whatever, then I could just cut and paste them and move around uh, Notepad. But that's how I actually uh, organized everything for the first time. So, you know, ultimately I came up with a book, and um, it, it I don't have a lot of regrets over Commodore, but if I have one regret, um, actually I kind of have two regrets i guess if if i had to come up with one and one was uh, one of the, the one regret i have uh which is really a minor one is some of the pictures um and you know when i did commodore i thought that this may be the only book i ever write and so there were certain pictures that i just included um that were kind of stupid and didn't really have much to do with the book but i thought you know if i only do one book i really want to see a picture of me and the stranger in the front row of WWE, which is on the last page of the book, and it has nothing to do. I mean, you know, the stranger uh, is obviously you know mentioned throughout the book, so uh, it's, you know, it's not like it's there for no reason. But it's, I'm sure when people go, they go, "What the hell is this picture in here for?" But uh, you know, if you have that that fear that you're only going to do one book, you want to include everything, you know. So that's why that's in there. But uh, so I would, I would have. Uh, 
taken some of the pictures out. And th- but really, that goes with my big regret with that book, and that is um, I did not use uh, an editor. I edited the book um, myself, and editing was a, a problem for me. And uh, I did have uh, uh, the stranger and uh, my wife, and it seems like uh, maybe one or two other people. But um, once you 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 write a book, um, my dad mentioned something to me um, while while he was looking at invading spaces, and he said um, the um, the types of errors that you make most commonly when you're writing are the same types of errors that you'll miss when you're, uh, you know, copy editing or proofreading. And that's, that's very true. Uh, so it really helps. I mean, the two best ways to copy edit something, one is to totally walk away from it. And, uh, I can't tell you on invading spaces, how many times I rewrote the first chapter because I would write it and write it and write it. And, and, you know, you get it to where you really like it, and then I would go work on something else, and the next day I would go look at it, and I would move things around again and cut parts out and add parts. Um, so that fresh set of eyes helps. But to have somebody who's not familiar with the book at all to look at it, that's really your your uh, one of your greatest assets, you know. And so um, when I uh, wrote Commodore, uh, I did the exact same thing with Invading Spaces, unfortunately, and it was, um, I had it down to the last day. Like, I had to send it off on such and such a day to ensure that I would have copies back so that I could take them to OVGE and sell them. Uh, and I cut it very, very close. I cut it close with both shows, actually. Um, actually, with um, uh, Invading Spaces, I um, I paid a lot of extra money for priority shipping to ensure that I'll have books at the show. And so I, I do have books now. They're not for sale yet, but, um, uh, but I do have books on hand, but, uh, you know, you get to the point where you're at the very end and you're, you know, pressed for time. And I mean, the ultimate solution would be to finish your thing and then send it off maybe to a professional publisher even would be nice. But if you don't want that, there are people out there that will, read your book um, for free. But what I ran into with Commodore was a lot of people offered to read my book and then most of those people did not read the book. Um, Or they skimmed it or, you know, they wanted to see the book, but they did not want to read the book and give me feedback on the book. Uh, So that was a big problem with Commodore was I think I sent out um, 10 PDF copies and I heard back from two or three people. Um, so there are, uh, errors in Commodore. Now here's, uh, and I'm going to be talking about, um, Lulu, which is the publisher that I use here in just a few minutes. But, um, Lulu is actually a print on demand, uh, book printing service. Um, and they are an online publisher and the way that they work is that you write your book, you upload it to Lulu. Uh, and then you order your books, th- you know, back through them, and they make a certain amount off of each book. Uh, and the more books that you buy, you get a at a time, you get a, a discount, you know. Um, so I'm going to talk about that shortly. Uh, but the uh, so the with the good thing about that is with Commodore, when I first when I ordered my first batch, I ordered about uh, I think it was 25 books. And when I got it, I was just horrified at how many, um, I mean, there weren't a lot, but there were, there were a lot for me. I mean, there were probably 15 or 20 errors that I found. And 
Uh, it's amazing that you could stare at something at a screen forever and not see them. And the minute it's on printed paper and you look at it, they just jump out at you. Um, and so, and the other problem was the template uh, that Lulu offered for their covers had a, a, they made a really big deal and said, don't put anything in the right two inches or something like that. Like this is our trim area. And so I put everything on the left side. And as a result, uh, the front covers were slightly off center. I mean, they were, it was, well, it wasn't slightly. It was like an inch off center. I mean, the, the picture I sent was large enough that it covered the whole front cover, thank goodness. But it was off center, and it really bothered me. Uh, and a lot of people didn't notice, you know. But you know how it is. It's something you create. You're absolutely going to notice. So, um, ideally, the way that you would do it is proofread. Have other people proofread, edit it, take their uh, you know suggestions and their corrections, implement all those, and when you're done, uh, send it you know your manuscript if you want to call it that into Lulu. Get one copy and then look at that copy and make sure that there are no errors or whatever. And then if that copy looks okay, then order you know however many copies you think you can sell or whatever. But um, uh, you know, I didn't have time to do that either time. Uh, fortunately, on uh, Invading Spaces, I've gone through the print copy, and I only found one error, which was, uh, and it, it's not a big one. I think it's like the word and is missing, uh, you know, instead of a comma or something like that. But, um, uh, you know, on Commodore, I ordered those first 25 copies, and then, you know, I look at them, and they're awful, and then I hated it, and I had to sell those, um, which, I mean, I did, you know. So, you know, there's 25 lucky people out there that have the limited edition error-filled copies of Commodore. So if you have, actually the first 25 were all numbered. I numbered all 25 um, when I signed the first one. So if you have one of those, uh, lucky you, maybe you can sell it someday. Um, but anyway, so I've already started talking about uh, Lulu. So uh, Lulu is, like I said, what they call a print-on-demand, which is uh, you can order one book at a time. You place an order with Lulu, they print, bind, uh, collate your book or whatever, and then they send it back to you, uh, but they don't make it until you place an order. So there, there is kind of a delay there. Now, this one of the big questions uh, that I have is a lot of people want to know about money, and uh, I never know if it's rude to talk about money, or I have weird... Uh, concepts about talking about money uh and i i probably i talk about it too much actually um but whenever you um upload when it, okay so if you you've just you know you've written your book and lulu accepts basically they print their books uh in pdf format uh, now let me say this at the very beginning uh i don't uh endorse lulu.com more or less than any other person i mean i don't um i'm not saying that they're the best or the greatest or anything like that all i can say is that that's who i've used the last two times so that's why i'm talking about lulu.com if you know of another print on demand uh publisher or anything like that the problem with print on demand is um there are a lot of places that rip you off they want your money up front and everything else like that and and lulu.com uh, is not a scam so i i can't vouch for them in that aspect that that um, it's been really good to work with them. So uh, the way it works is you uh, write your document and Microsoft Word is accepted. I, I, I would think that would be the most common. Uh, you can also generate your own PDF if you want, but it's fairly complicated to do. It's not just 
they won't accept just any PDF. There are a lot of rules and stuff. Um, but online they do have uh, Microsoft Word templates, so you can just download a template and they have it sized for like I've printed them. My books are a six by nine format, so they have different templates for their sizes or whatever. Um, but uh, so once you're done with your Word template, you go and you upload it to Lulu. They convert it to a PDF and then they send it right back to you, and you get an opportunity to look at it. You know, so you. Uh, you could go through it and see, make sure everything formatted right. I have had slight differences uh, in font sizes or whatever, so um, uh, it's good to go through and look at that PDF and make sure that you know uh, everything looks okay. Once you approve that, then that goes on file on your Lulu account, uh, and then you move. You have uh, several different options. Like you can uh, design your own cover, which I've done my own cover both times and. Oh man, this last time was such a pain in the butt because there's it has to be 300 DPI, and I made the mistake of uh, doing my cover in Photoshop and use the default of uh, 72 DPI, and so I had to go through a whole thing of resampling and resizing. It literally took hours to you know resample this picture up to 300 DPI, and in the end, I couldn't tell a difference. But I suppose you know on on something that you print, uh, you know, you can probably tell a difference. But anyway. Uh, so you design your cover, or if you don't want to design your own cover, they have hundreds of templates that you can just use their templates and put your own text, like on their, uh, pictures and stuff like that. So you can do that too. In fact, um, uh, a friend of mine, well, the stranger, that's, that's what he's done with his books. So, um, so once you do that, then they basically have an electronic version of your book online and you now have several options. The way that Lulu makes their money is they have a set fee that you pay for each book that is printed, and then on top of that, they take uh, one-fifth of the profits. So I believe, and I'm rounding here, and so I'm going to be rounding some numbers for these examples, but I believe uh, on Commodore um, that the setup fee was about $4 per book. Okay. and um, I sell uh, uh, Commodore for fifteen dollars. So people go, "Wow, you know, you're making this, uh, you know, eleven dollars per book." Well, first of all, uh, okay, of that eleven dollars, Lulu takes a fifth of it. So they take another two dollars or whatever that is, two dollars and some change. So they keep that, and I make eighty percent. So I'm gonna make you know the eight dollars or whatever off that, which is really good uh you would be really hard pressed to get a book deal anywhere that's going to pay you that kind of especially for a first time author um now you know it sounds kind of greedy like you know why am i selling it for $15 well the reason for that is is that um when people buy it through if you buy it through lulu electronically then they take another uh chunk of that money and you make a little bit less off that. And I want to say that was another like $3 handling fee or something to that effect. Um, now where the real problem comes in is um, if you want to sell your book through Amazon.com. And I absolutely did with Commodore. Um, I mean, I I didn't think it was a real book unless you could get it through Amazon. I mean, everybody's on Amazon and I had to have my book there. So um to get your book on Amazon through Lulu first of all you have to purchase uh a ISBN number uh and uh which I did and that's $99 so you add $100 to your you know cost now uh, I should mention this real quick is that 
if if all you do is have people buy their you know if you just sell your book through lulu you don't have to pay any money ever they keep you know their percentage and you set your paypal account up uh and you know once a month they deposit your profits into your paypal account so you don't have to that's one thing really to watch out for a lot of these um print on demand type places if they ask for a lot of money up front then you know you might want to consider or reconsider doing business with them but so uh your book is on file and when people buy it you know it they just drops uh drops the profits into your PayPal account so that's nice but if you wanted to do it through Amazon they have a whole thing and it's still hands off for you so um uh your book after you get this number they they say that they put you into like I think it's like 13 different online book resellers like it goes into Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and borders.com so all the big online book retailers and actually it goes into a lot more than that um in fact um uh, Steven just pointed out uh, the other day that he found someone selling 100 copies of Commodore on eBay uh and you know so it's it's once that you're in the system then people just find your book and they sell it or resell it or whatever so um, so Commodore, you can buy lots and lots of places, but, um, Amazon has a handling fee of like another $4 or something. And so, um, I mean, on one end of the spectrum is, uh, I have the ability to buy my own book. And in fact, when I buy my own book, all you pay is that setup fee. You don't pay Lulu, uh, you know, any of the 20% of the profit. They, they cut the whole profit thing off and I just pay the setup fee. Um, and I, it's, it's more than $4. I think, um, Copies of Commodore cost me, if I buy one, it was like $7, something like that. Um, and then they have discounts if you buy multiple books. Uh, if I buy like 50 copies, I think I only pay like $5 a copy, something to that effect. Um, but if you buy a copy from Amazon, uh, number one, Lulu takes that $7, then they take their 20%, then they take their handling fee, then it goes to Amazon, and Amazon takes their handling fee. So if you buy a copy of Commodore from Amazon.com, I make 88 cents. Um, and that, I mean, that's the exact number because I've seen uh, the PayPal transactions. And then if you're doing it through PayPal, don't forget the PayPal is going to take their part uh, off of that 88% for their handling fee. If you're, you know, if you're set up to do credit cards, uh, it's the however much, whatever it is, uh, the 30 cents or the 3% or whatever. So, um, you know, I barely break even. I mean, I, I can't say I lose money uh, on um, doing Amazon, but, you know, so there's a lot of people that have found the book on Amazon and they bought it and they, uh, you know, I, they see that it's a small author and that they buy it, but you know, really it's not helping me. It's making Amazon a lot of money. Uh, but anyway, you know, if you're self publishing a book, I think I've sold, um, I've sold somewhere between five and 600 copies of Commodore. So obviously, um, you know, I'm not getting rich off of, uh, writing and self publishing books. And that's, uh, something that you, really have to come to terms with. And there's, there's several things that I waver back and forth on. One of them is the money issue. You know, uh, I've thought about, um, I, I thought about with invading spaces, trying to send it to, I really wanted to go through, um, Rolenta press. Uh, and there were a couple other publishers I was looking at, but ultimately, um, you know, financially I could probably make just as much money self publishing it. But then you get into the argument of, is it really about the money? Uh, which, you know, for me, it's not, I mean, not for uh, Commodore, obviously, uh, you know, there's not a book about, uh, you know, an Oklahoma nerds BBS memoirs is not going to be on the bestsellers list. I'm not going to retire off that book. So, 
you know, one thing you have to decide is, uh, you know, if you want to try to go with a real publisher, uh, if you could get picked up, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of book deals out there anywhere for first time authors, um, you know, for a thousand, 3000, maybe even $5,000, you know, if you can find a publisher that's interested in your book, then the way that those work is like, if you get a thousand dollar advance, then you make some sort of agreement, like you make $2 per book or something and you start getting paid once that advance is paid off. So, uh, you know, it's six in one. It's just a different way to do it. But, uh, so my whole idea through self-publishing through Lulu was, uh, with Commodore was, um, that way I would have a book. I could tell people that I've, I've written a book and put a book out and, you know, then, um, possibly with the second book, then I could actually, uh, pursue being published, you know, but what, what I actually found out is that there's, there aren't really very many big publishers that are interested in, uh, nonfiction computer related type things. I mean, you have O'Reilly and you have, um, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're, they're out there, but, um, I, I, what I'm trying to say is I couldn't find anybody interested in mine. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and you know, I had such a fun experience doing Commodore, um, self-publishing that I just decided that I was going to, that was what I knew and that I was going to do that, um, with invading spaces. So anyway, um, moving forward, uh, at OVGE 2006 is where I started selling, uh, Commodore and, uh, I had those first 25 copies and I was so worried that I was going to sell out and what was I going to do, uh, when, you know, when I sold out or whatever and, uh, I think I sold 15 copies and probably 10 of those were to people I knew. Um, so all of a sudden I was like, wow, this didn't, this wasn't, um, this didn't go as well as I thought it was going to, you know? And so, um, that kind of brings us to promotion. Now, when you write a book with a publisher, basically your job is to write the book and they have someone who edits the book and they'll have someone who designs the cover and ultimately they'll have someone who uh, promotes your book. When you self-publish a book, you are all those things. You are the writer, you are the designer, the layout, um, you're the editor, you know, like I said, you may let someone else edit it, but ultimately you're the proofreader. Um, and when that product comes back, you're the promoter. And so you have to find ways of getting your book out, you know, to the public. Now, uh, for video game books, I had a, well, uh, you know, for Commodore and and Invading Spaces, I had a built-in audience of um, the computer forums, uh, the online forums that I'm a member of, like Digital Press and Atari Age and um, Lemon64 and all these places that I hang out at online that I had, you know, a good reputation at. And so I didn't want to just like whore it out, you know, and, and be posting every week and, and be like, Hey, I got a book, you know, I didn't want to do that. But, um, I did think it was fair game to put, um, a link to the book in my signature, you know, and I put a little graphic that said, you know, Commodore now available. And then, um, I went to all these forums that I was a member of. And I even signed up for some forums that I wasn't a member of, and I would find any conversation that had anything to do with Commodores or BBSs or whatever, and I would join in those conversations. And I wouldn't, um, you know, be like, hey, if you like this, you should buy my book. Um, I don't know why I have a stupid voice every time I really talk like that. Um, But, 
so, you know, I would join in these conversations and then in my signature, I would have this thing. So it was kind of like a subtle, um, advertising type thing. And I'm, I'm sure on each one of those forms, I did post one post that, you know, said, Hey, you know, I have my book is for sale or whatever, but I mean, on digital press, um, gosh, I have something like 15,000 posts or 16,000 posts. So I've been there, I've been a really active member and stuff. So, um, you know, all of a sudden you have this link in your, your signature. And now, you know, if people go to Google and they type in, you know, they're searching for things and they're going to run across your name, uh, or, you know, a conversation that you're having. And then they go there and they're going to see that link in your signature to the book, you know? So that was, um, that was my first idea for, uh, promoting the book. And it didn't go very well. I mean, I may have sold another <sighs> 10 or 12 copies or 15 copies maybe, but, um, you know, think about all the ads that you see on the internet every day. And there, you know, and even, I mean, probably 99 point whatever percent of them don't interest you. And even the ones you do, how many times have you said, oh, that's interesting, you know, but I'll have to buy that later when I have my wallet here and, and I have my credit card or, you know, oh, I'll have to, maybe I'll ask for that for Christmas or something, um, you know, but. Uh, you know, you don't, even if it looks interesting, you don't always buy it, you know? So, uh, all of a sudden I was like, man, you know, this isn't going well. And then, um, and then Jason Scott, uh, came to my rescue. Now, uh, Jason Scott, when he had released the BBS documentary, I was so excited about it that, um, after watching it, I wrote a big review about it. It was very, um, uh, positive, favorable review of the BBS documentary. And I posted it on my site and, um, you know, all the sites that I was a member of. I know I sent it to, um, I think I actually wrote it for, um, Earl Green's, uh, uh, website, uh, the logbook.com. And he posted it. And then I emailed Jason Scott. I didn't know Jason Scott, but I emailed him and said, Hey, here's a link, you know, to the review. I hope you find it, you know, favorable or whatever. Uh, and, uh, so anyway, Obviously, he follows um, BBS things, and he found out about my book. And uh, so it's kind of a case of uh, scratching each other's backs, maybe. I don't know. But um, he found my book and wrote a review and submitted it, and it ended up uh, appearing on Slashdot. Uh, I'm sure probably everybody listening to this knows what Slashdot is, but Slashdot is a um, really big um, technical site. And there are so many people, in fact, that hit Slashdot every day that uh, whenever they link to a story, um, there's a phrase called being slash dotted, which is when hundreds of thousands of people hit your website all at one time and it tends to uh, crash web servers. So, uh, you know, if you can get your, your story or something like that listed on slash dot, uh, if your server can take the pounding, it's a really good um, advertising tool. And so Jason had written this book review for a uh, Commodore and it got posted on slash dot. And, um, uh, you know, I was checking my website looking for sales and all of a sudden I can't get to my website anymore because it's being pounded by thousands of slash dot nerds. Um, and which is a good thing. I don't want to make it sound like it's derogatory. Um, and so up until that point, I want to say that was like late August, you know, maybe like a month after, uh, after I had originally sold the book and, uh, prior to that point, I remember I had sold like around 30 copies of the book. That day, I sold over 100. And so that was really the thing that got the ball rolling for me. Um, because, um, you know, when all these people saw it, then all of a sudden it was like, um, you know, it got picked up by little news stories here and there. And um, I had, uh, I always joke that um, I'm really big in Germany. I had two different 
German magazines contact me. I, I mean, I think they're online or PDF type um, zines, but they both contacted me and wanted to do interviews. And I, I did an interview with um, uh, a different uh, Earl from, uh, oh gosh, uh, Retro Bits, uh, Retro Bits podcast. And uh, that's a great podcast. That's everything that this podcast should be is uh, Earl's podcast at Retro Bits. His podcast is fantastic. Um, but but uh, Earl actually did a uh, uh, interview with me over the cell phone, and and he recorded it and did it on you know. So it, just getting on Slashdot, something like that. I mean, it's hard to say you know if you want to sell a book, get on Slashdot. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying um, you know once you start getting the buzz, I'll tell you another regret that I have about uh, Commodore and something that I'm going to change on Invading Spaces. Uh, and I don't want a whole bunch of emails. Everybody asking me for free books right now, but um, uh, you know with with Commodore. When I bought all these copies, all I had, uh, I didn't have the big picture in mind. I just had this, like, you know, every book, I'm like, I just paid $7 for that. I must sell this for $15 and make my money back and cover all my other expenses and everything. Um, And so I was very, very reluctant to give out press copies. In fact, um, uh, who was it? Um, Video Game uh, Collector Magazine. Sean uh, Sean Paul Jones hit me up at OVGE and said, "Hey, if you give me a book, you know, I'll uh, you know try and review it and I'll get it in the magazine." And I was like, "Nah, <laughs> I can't." You know, if you buy one, you know, and I actually made him, you know, try to get him to buy one, and he didn't buy one. And uh, I think, I, I mean, eventually he did buy one. But you know, in retrospect, I would never do that. I would gladly give you know a magazine editor, owner, publisher, writer, whatever, a copy of the book. Uh, and you know, I mean, whatever you lose in the actual paying of that book, you're going to get back, you know, in, in advertising and whatever. But, uh, so th- that's definitely something that I will change, uh, with this book invading spaces is, uh, you know, if I find people that say, Hey, will you send me a copy, uh, you know, that are with a magazine, not you who's listening here right now thinking that you're going to get a free book. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, uh, I'll definitely probably do more um, promo copies of the book. In fact, um, I uh, just today I wrote out a press release and sent it out to uh, uh, some newspapers and stuff, and it looks like I might get some action off that. So uh, promoting is like a full-time job. Um, uh, Jason, uh, I know I keep talking about Jason Scott, but he's really taught me a lot about uh, self-promotion, and it is really... Um, a full-time job and a half. Uh, you know, I mean, you have to constantly be putting your product out there and talking to people. And I don't do it nearly enough. I, uh, you know, once I sold, you know, X amount of copies or whatever. But, you know, when people, people, um, I've had a couple of people that have written books that say, you know, well, I haven't sold very many copies. Well, let me tell you, after I did, I mean, when Commodore came out, the first thing I did was went to OVGE. I set up a big table. I had a banner, a Commodore. I set up Commodore stuff so people that were interested in Commodores would come look. And then when I came, you know, I would say, oh, by the way, I wrote this book. You know, I should use my dumb voice. Oh, I wrote this book. And, um, you know, so you would get those people's attention. Then after that, um, a few months later was the ECCC. Yeah, three C's. ECCC, which was the Emergency Chicagoland Commodore Convention. Uh, and I have family in Chicago, so I scheduled a family vacation, uh, and I drove to Chicago, which is 800 miles from here, and I uh, purchased a table, and I set up a table there and did a display and sold uh, copies of Commodore, and I wore a, a T-shirt that my wife had made for me that said Commodore on it, you know, so 
Um, and then last year at CGE, I worked out a deal with um, Joe Santoli, the owner of Digital Press, and I sold copies of Commodore through there. And, and um, the following weekend was DEF CON, the uh, hacker convention, which was also in Vegas. And um, Radman from Acid had a, a connection there, uh, somebody that was selling a booth. And those people, uh, and it, that's like, I mean, Radman, uh, I mean, he didn't know me anything. He, he's a, a friend of mine through um, Cult of the Dead Cow. I mean, I, I, I hate to call him a friend because that makes it sound like we're closer than we are. But, I mean, I could consider him a friend. He's a super, super nice guy. Um, and he actually hooked me up with, uh, you know, somebody who would sell my book for me, and I didn't have to pay anything. I was so grateful for that. Um, but, you know, so when people say, well, hey, I wrote this book and it's not selling, well, I was driving around the country, you know, setting up these different things and doing PR releases, uh, you know, attending shows and trying to sell stuff like that. I was, um, you know, smoozing and schmoozing at uh, CGE, you know, so that I, it was, it didn't just happen. I didn't sell 500 copies just because, you know, I, I wrote a book and stuck it out there. And, and, um, and like I said, 500 copies, there's a part of me that's proud that I sold that many. And there's another part that's really kind of disappointed. I mean, I'd, I'd like to sell, you know, 5,000 copies. Uh, and maybe I will on invading spaces. You know, I learned, um, I learned a lot of how to promote and how to deal with people and stuff like that. And, um, uh, so I'm sure I'll do more with invading spaces. But anyway, so, um, you know, Commodore, I rode this wave for probably six months or so. Um, and uh, it sold and then it tapered off. And I sell, you know, a couple of copies a month now. And not very many. Uh, uh, but I also don't promote it very much. And so, um, you know, you kind of fast forward a little bit. And um, I've, I've been... Uh, collecting arcade games for a long time, um, but I really picked up in 2003, and that was um, when my wife uh, set up our backyard shed as a uh, arcade for me, so I, you know, it kind of gave me the license to uh, start collecting games, and so I did, uh, and I started buying arcade games and, and fixing them up, or trying to fix them up, and, um, you know, buying and selling and things like that, and so, um, I kind of, like around digital press and some of these places, I kind of became like the resident arcade guy. I am by no means an expert, and I could, everybody I know in the hobby uh, knows more than I do <laughs> about our, you know, arcade games and stuff, but I, I know where to look for information, and like I said, I have this way of organizing information that I think, um, you know, people... Uh, you know, they, they understand that. I mean, the way I write it is entertaining, and um, it's like I can kind of convey the information and stuff in an entertaining way, but also make it factual, you know? And so, um, uh, like on digital press, I do a lot of, you know, answer a lot of arcade-related questions for people. And um, so anyway, after a while, I was just writing the same things over and over and over. You know, people go online and say, you know, what's a super gun or what's JAMA? And then you're explaining this, and you're like, how many times have I explained this before? And then, you know, when I started looking, it's like there wasn't, there's not a book uh, for beginners wanting to get into arcade collecting. It's, you know, there are, I mean, the closest thing I think that I found was um, the guy over at, uh, was John St. Clair over at um, BY, uh, Belgium or arcadecontrols.com. Uh, 
you know, he has a, his book is about MAME cabinets, and it really it takes you through that whole process. But it doesn't talk, you know, about arcade game collecting. And there are books. Um, there's price guides about arcades, and it, I mean, I found some things that were similar, but I didn't really find anything of what I wanted was when these people would come on the forum and say, you know, I'm interested in arcade collecting, but I don't know where to start. I wanted something that I could refer them to and say, you should read this, you know, and I never could find whatever this was, you know, and so. You know, just the idea, I, I was still kind of on the coattails of Commodore, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to write this. And so uh, I sat down, and I wrote up, you know, like I had done with Commodore, I started, uh, I didn't do the index cards, but I just went in Notepad, and I was like, you know, well, if I were going to, uh, you know, someone explain the entire hobby of collecting arcade games, you know, what would that entail? And, uh, you know, so I wrote down that would entail buying games and then i had these little subheaders like you know buying from people buying from craigslist buying from ebay buying from uh, you know arcade auctions so i had this whole thing of like buying games and then i had a whole thing about um moving games and and you know i broke that down into three different types like um short range medium range and long range where short range is like moving them around your house medium range would be like moving them across town uh and long range is actually shipping them you know so Every aspect of the hobby, I kind of broke down and then broke down a little bit further. Uh, I had a section on uh, flipping games, which, you know, like flip this house or whatever, like people who buy games, fix them up, restore them, convert them, whatever, and then sell them for a profit. And then, you know, I did I did do a chapter on um, MAME because I, I think you have to uh, uh, address arcade emulation if you're going to talk about arcade games. But um, so uh, Invading Spaces was actually... It was easier to write and harder to write uh, in different aspects. It was easier to write because the chapters came together almost immediately. I mean, when you think about the hobby, there are only so many things that you're going to talk about, you know. Um, so that part was easy. The hard part was um, Invading Spaces was more, I mean, I would say both books are nonfiction, but Commodore, I wrote most of Commodore without doing any research. Uh, I mean, Commodore was my old story, so all I had to do was sit down and think of old stories and write them down. Uh, Invading Spaces contains, like, a lot of facts, you know, like, um, there's two chapters on repairs. One's on electronic repair and one's on actual physical repair, you know, and, I mean, some of the repairs I have done, most of the repairs I have attempted, I guess I'll say that, um, but, you know, you want to you know, make sure that you're giving good advice or that you're explaining something in a good way. So I actually had to do, you know, quite a bit of research uh, for Invading Spaces, and that took a long time. And I don't know how you are, but it's really difficult for me to to uh, work on a project that requires the Internet and then not get sidetracked. Uh, so, you know, it was very easy for me to go, uh, you know, I need to look this up on an arcade site and I would look up that fact and then I would look up some more facts and then I would notice that they had uh, flash arcade games and then three hours later I'm like, bro, I'm really good at Donkey Kong. And, <laughs> and you know, so, uh, or, you know, uh, the hardest thing for me is checking email. I mean, I have email on all the time. So the, the longest I've gone so far this month without checking my email other than when I'm asleep is right now while recording this podcast. So. Um, you know, to be able to actually be online, but, uh, you know, have the, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not the determination, the discipline, really, 
uh, you know, to have the discipline to be able to to remain online, but just do what you're supposed to do. That that was hard for me. Um, and what I ended up doing, and I I uh, can't remember if I talked about it on the podcast. I know I posted about it on my blog, but um, I ended up taking uh, a writing sabbatical, which is, uh, you know, I have a, a wife and a job, and I have two kids, and it's difficult to set aside that time where you're just going to write. You know, it's very um, if you have a family, especially, it's very guilty feeling of you know life is going on outside your little room and now i'm going to go in my room and shut the door and i'm going to write and nobody can bother me you know and and it's hard to find that time to do that uh, and so um once i had uh you know i i got to a point where i just got stuck on the book like i was you know maybe halfway done or whatever it, it's hard to say it's, it's hard to say percentages too i know um steven's giving me a hard time and and susan kind of gave me a hard time about that too because my percentages kept changing but um but as you work on the book, your your perception of where you are in the book changes. You know, like, you know, I wrote down all my ideas and I started on half the chapter. So I was like, well, I'm 50% done. But then when you go and actually start writing those, you're like, oh, I'm only 10% done. And you write and write and write and you get to, you know, maybe halfway done and you're like, wow, now I'm 50% done. And then, you know, people go, well, I thought you were 50% done before. But, you know, it's just because your perceptions change. And even when you're totally done with the book, you're like, Wow, I'm totally done with the book. So that's a hundred percent. But if you're talking about writing, that's a hundred percent. But you haven't factored in, you know, uh, designing your cover or having it uh, proofread and edited and going through that. So are you really a hundred percent? You know, so uh, you can't get really dragged down on the numbers. But um, you know, I got to a point where I was just having a hard time focusing on writing at home, and so I went and um, rented a cabin that was by a nearby lake. And I went to the cabin and I took my laptop and I took uh, my MP3 player and I didn't take much else. You know, I didn't want to get sidetracked. I did take a, um, the two things I took were, I took a DVD uh, copy of Funny Farm, which is the dumb Chevy Chase movie where he goes to the woods to be a writer. And um, uh, I watched it that night, you know, and I, um, I don't know. Well, two things. Number one is, for some reason, whenever I think about you know going away and writing, I always think about that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but but you know that's just what I thought about. And number two, after I watched it, I was like, wow, this is a really bad movie. <laughs> but Chevy Chase made some terrible movie decisions. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I thought after watching it. Um, but you know, it was really good because I'm sitting in this. Um, uh, I actually got you know two. Uh, I think I did a, a Saturday or Sunday, Monday, or uh, golly, I don't remember what it was, but I but I had two full days at this um, cabin, you know, and it was awesome. There was just no, there was no TV there, there were no interruptions. Um, oh, the other thing I took was um, Bill Kunkel's book. Bill Kunkel uh, basically started video game journalism. Uh, he's the father, or some say the grandfather, of video game journalism. He was one of the founders of. Uh, uh, Electronic Games Magazine, and uh, he wrote um, a lot of Electronic Games Magazine, and he's also known as the Game Doctor. And I had read most of his book before, uh, but but I finished it while I was out there, and just going through some of the stories, you know, and, and um, uh, I, I think my writing style is probably similar to his in that, um, uh, you know, it's full of a lot of anecdotes, and I mean, sometimes the the story is not the story. It's what leads up to the story. Uh, and I, and he does a lot of the same things I do. So, you know, I, I, I skimmed through that whenever I was getting stuck on something, I would just 
read through that and kind of you know get back in the mood of gaming. Um, you know, the other thing I should uh, say is that I took is um, Andrew Hoffel's. Uh, God, you know what? I'm drawing a blank of what the name is, and I'm going to look it up real quick. Andy. Andy Hoffel um, did the Arcade Ambience Project page, and he did four different MP3s, and each one um, is right about the length of a blank CD. So if you want to burn an audio CD, uh, it'll fit on there. And what it is is basically it is the sounds of an actual arcade. And... um, uh, I mean, he used uh, MAME and emulation to actually uh, to do the sounds. Um, but uh, uh, there's four different ones, and, and each one is like from a different uh, era of the arcades. There's 1981, 1983, 1986, and 1992. And you could go to um, arcade.hoffle, H-O-F-L-E.com, uh, and you could download these MP3s for free. And when you listen to them, I mean, there's no music in the background. There's like some crowd noise that's kind of simulated, you know. But it, really, it's like walking around an arcade. Um, and, you know, so w- when I was working on Invading Spaces and I'm sitting out in this lake cabin, you know, and I, I needed to get inspired, I put on these MP3s and it was just all the old sounds of of uh, arcade games and stuff, you know. And it just kind of gets you back in the mood, you know, and make you kind of smile and think about old arcades and stuff like that. So. um so anyway, I uh, I did listen to uh, Andy Hoffel's uh, Arcade Ambience, and um, uh, you know anybody who likes arcade. In fact, you know I have those those tracks, and um, sometimes I'll put them on the uh, the stereo out in my arcade, like you know just for background noise or whatever. But I uh, highly recommend you go to uh, Andy's site, download those, and um, I think you know I'm gonna look here real quick, but I think. Um, I don't even see a, a place on his website for a donation thing or whatever, but, you know, I mean, yeah, you should kick the guy a few bucks or whatever. I think it's a really cool project. So anyway, um, you know, so I finished up the book finally at, uh, you know, the last minute. I uh, went on vacation a week before last to Chicago, and I knew that I had to send the book in before I left. And so uh, Sunday morning at 3 in the morning, I'm finishing up the book. You know, my uh, wife proofread the book, and um, Stephen proofread the book, and my dad, uh, who worked at a printing company for 30 years as a uh, foreman and who did spot check proofreading, he proofread the book. And so, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure we got 99% of the errors out of it. Whatever got through there, the four of us missed it. And so, I mean, I'm it wouldn't surprise me if there's one or two small things. But, um, but I think I did a lot better job. That was one of the things that, really bugged me about Commodore. So I think I did a, a better job with that this time. And I know I'm going to do better, uh, you know, promoting it and stuff like that. Originally I said that, um, you don't know Flack was going to run half an hour. Uh, and, uh, this one's well over an hour. Once again, uh, Steven gives me a hard time every time. Uh, and so I'm sure I will not hear the end of this one either, but, uh, uh, but anyway, so I wanted to, Basically, I I guess I'll kind of go through and and recap about writing a book and self-publishing it. You know, basically the first thing that I wanted to say was, you know, you have to have an idea for a book. If you're just, I mean, just because it's a book about you, that's not going to sell. You know, it has to be, there has to be some overall, you know, story. Um, I mean, it could be full of your own stories, but it has to be, you know, a bigger picture or whatever. Um, And once you have that, just start writing, write down all your ideas, find a way to organize it that makes sense. I mean, um, 
uh, you know, Commodore was chronological. It was laid out in order. Uh, Invading Spaces was more. It was partially chronological. I mean, I had chapters. Obviously, you're going to talk about, um, you know, uh, I talk about, um, like, the terminology first and then how to buy a game and then later how to fix games and then how to sell games. So, you know, it's just kind of a logical uh, progression. And then, uh, you know, one of the things people always ask me about uh, because Commodore is full of so many funny stories is if I have the same thing in um, uh, Invading Spaces, and I do. There's a lot of funny stories in Invading Spaces, but I had so many um, good arcade-related stories that wouldn't even fit, so I have a whole chapter at the end of Invading Spaces uh, called Loose Change, which is just full of unrelated stories. I mean, they're related to arcade uh, stories, but they're not related to uh, one another. So once you have this thing written, you know, uh, get it proofread, edited, get all the mistakes out of it, you know, do a professional job, have it look like an actual book, uh, and then go sign up with lulu.com. That, that's who I've used. Upload your manuscript to them. Uh, you can also design your cover at that point, um, and they accept, you know, any, any kind of graphic uploads. It has to be 300 DPI, but they have templates. And, I, I mean, I did mine in Photoshop, saved them as uh, JPEGs, and uploaded it, and, and they look great. Uh, and then once you do that, you can uh, sign up for uh, the ISBN number, and you can start selling. Uh, you only need that if you're going to sell through the online retailers other than Lulu. So uh, you have three different selling options. You can buy copies uh, yourself and sell them like through your website or you know in person or promotions, things like that. You can sell them. You can refer people to Lulu, and people can buy your book through Lulu. Uh, or you can sign up for the ISBN and then sell it through places like Amazon. And I and Commodore is available in all three of those places. Invading Spaces right now is just going to be available through me uh, for the first. There's going to be a limited edition. There's also going to be a surprise included in the first uh, 25 books that are going to be available at OVG. I can't really tell you what that is yet. I mean, it's not a great surprise, like, you know, if you don't fly in for it, but I think people that pick it up there, you know, uh, they'll get a kick out of it. But anyway, um, so, and then, you know, once you do that, the last thing is promote it. And you've got to promote it. The books, there are so many books out there. Books will not sell themselves. You're going to have to go to online forums. You're going to have to uh, look into advertising. You're going to have to look at, uh, you know, uh, sending out PRs. You're going to have to promote the book over and over again. You're going to be sick of talking about it, but, you know, to everybody out there that you reach, uh, that's, you know, part of your demographic that hasn't heard of it, that's a potential customer out there. So I think I've pretty much covered um, what I know about writing a book, which um, uh, I hope that some of it you'll find useful. And um, Invading Spaces goes on sale uh, August 9th. You can get it uh, in person at OVGE. Uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, if you want more information on that show, if you're anywhere around Tulsa, if you're in uh, Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri, Dallas, uh, you know, northern Texas, uh, any of those places like that, uh, it's well worth going out there. Go to OVGE.com, or you could go to my website, RobOHara.com, and go to the photo album, and I have pictures from OVGE 2003, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, and you can look at the pictures. If you look at those pictures and you like old computers or video games or anything like that, I guarantee you'll be coming out to the show. It's, it's a blast. Uh, there's going to be lots of uh, members of the digital press forums. 
the Atari Age forums. There's a lot of people uh, from those places that come. Uh, there will be some people from the uh, Oklahoma uh, Coin-Op Collectors Forum. So, I mean, it's, it's a big full-day Saturday party. Come out and buy, sell stuff, play video games, all that, and obviously and buy uh, copies of the brand-new Invading Spaces book, uh, which I'll be autographing there. And um, then after that, uh, I will have copies... Uh, once I get back, I, I'll, I'll put them on sale on the 9th, but they probably won't ship out until the uh, 11th, but I'll be selling copies through the website uh, as well, and, and um, I'm already starting to do the work to get it through Amazon again. So um, so anyway, uh, that's it. I'm going to wrap this one up. Episode 108 should air on uh, August 15th and uh, the topic of that show is going to be uh, video game shows and I'll be talking about um, how the show uh, went in Tulsa and um, some of the other shows I went to and stories about that kind of stuff so uh, hopefully that one will be uh, on time and a little bit shorter than this one with that I'm going to wrap this one up thanks for listening everybody and uh, I will see you uh, either in Tulsa on the 9th or back here on the podcast on August 15th Thanks for listening, and flack out.